This is The Legal Impact, a podcast presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted, and today I'm joined by Professor Buzz Schur, Director of the International Criminal Law and Justice Program. Learn more about that program at law.unh.edu slash ICLJ. Welcome back to the show. Great to be back. So you recently penned an opinion piece over at the Union Leader titled The Convenient and False Narrative About a Manchester Tragedy. So this is centered around a specific case over something we have talked about on the show before regarding bail reform, which you have been active with in New Hampshire since there was a big reform movement back in 2018, which we will dive into during the course of this episode in case anyone missed that. Uh, But I I really think it's important to have case studies when diving into uh, law because it, it really outlines maybe there are things that are correct, things that are wrong in the law. Over time, I also want to dive into is like changes to the bail reforms that were initially made for whether you agree with or disagree with. But that that's just the normal path that laws take when they've been put into place. And let's maybe start off with when you when we talk about bail reform, what does that tend to mean nowadays? In New Hampshire, it means a lot of different things around the country. In New Hampshire. What it means is about five years ago now, four or five years ago, Senator uh, Dan Feltis was the prime sponsor of a bill to really dramatically change our bail system. I was I was I was the one who who wrote that bill for Senator Feltis, uh, and it basically cleared away all the underbrush and all the trees and said, let's treat bail like it. It, it, it the way it should be treated that is we want to hold people who are at significant risk of never showing up for trial and we want to hold people who are clearly and convincingly dangerous other than that we don't want to hold people in jail because they don't have 100 bucks to meet uh, to meet their bail we want to take money out of the bail system because we had data at that time that showed we were holding people in jail on $500 bail, $250 bail, not because we thought they wouldn't show up, not because we thought they were dangerous. Just the judge had kind of this informal m- menu in his mind or th- her mind that, oh, it's it's an assault, simple assault, so $250. You know, that had been in place for years. Um and so people were sitting in jail for six months on a charge which they wouldn't get six months if they were convicted of. And some people were sitting in jail on charges that they were acquitted of or got dismissed. And the system had had gotten had lost its purpose and its focus on what mattered in terms of bail. Bail is not to punish people. Bail is to make sure they show up and make sure that dangerous people are not running around on the streets. And it has an obvious inequity for individuals of various income statuses and whether they could afford it. So like the people that would be the most affected by not showing up to work because they don't make very much money are the ones that also would be more likely to be put into into jail because they can't afford the bail. And therefore not show up for work. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so that reform went in place about five years ago now, maybe a little bit more, but no, about five years ago. 
Uh, and uh, there were uh, two bail commissions in subsequent two years to that had all the stakeholders on them uh, to tweak it. Uh, and, and, and we tweaked it both years. Uh, and it's been in place. Now, the police, even though they agreed to the tweaks both times, have kept coming back after they're saying, no, 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 you know, the, the streets, uh, people are running wild on the streets, committing crimes. You know, our citizens are not safe anymore, given bail reform. Uh, and uh, so we need to make these, we need to go, we need to retract bail reform. We need to go back on bail reform. Um, and that's been what's been going on the last three, three years or so. Um, and, uh, the problem with uh, the the fundamental problem with what the police are saying, particularly the police chiefs association, uh, that you know the streets are no longer safe in New Hampshire. Uh, the crime rate in New Hampshire has been going down steadily ever since bail reform was in place. Not not because of bail reform, but there's no sign that bail reform has made the streets less safe. Uh, in fact, uh, there's just no sign, no data that suggests that whatsoever the crime rate in manchester the the city where the mayor and the uh police chief and you know many of the representatives are complaining that the you know things are going crazy in the city it's no longer safe crime rates in manchester have been going down steadily also so there's this uh conflict between the data and what the police chiefs and others claim they want it really comes down to it seems like anecdotes as opposed to statistics which is something yep. we always try and focus on on the show is like what was the actual data showing especially when we talk about criminal justice reform it's so important to figure out what's actually happening or not happening and in this article you wrote for the union leader i mean is a prime example of that where it's an anecdote perfect example. yeah perfect example um uh you know, the mayor, Representative uh, Ross Berry, a Republican out of Manchester, the police chief, all said that uh, Mr. Whittemore was killed in uh, September, September of last year because of bail reform. But for bail reform, he would be living today. That's what that group of people and many others were saying. And so I investigated the case. Uh, I mean, their argument was this, uh, uh, the, uh, Mr. Moore, the defendant in that case, um, was charged with an attempted first degree assault in early July of last year. Uh, the attempted first degree assault sounds like a very serious violent crime. What happened was he was a homeless per person living out of his car. Uh, another group of homeless people surrounded him. Uh, they had problems with the way he had treated yet another homeless person. And, and he pulled out a knife and was swinging it around. And that's it. Um, technically, if somebody had been hurt, it might have been a first degree assault, but nobody was hurt. So it was an attempted first degree assault. But, uh, you know, not... Uh, not the most violent of crimes. So he's held in jail overnight. He has a hearing in front of a judge. They have, uh, he has a lawyer. Um, and the prosecutor makes his argument for either to be held without bail 
or if the judge is going to hold him is is going to grant personal recognizance bail pr bail where he doesn't post any money to have some conditions on it uh defense makes their argument says you know here's what really happened in the case and 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 i get all this information from i i i purchased the transcript of that hearing um so i actually again looked at the data looked at the words looked at the hearing and the judge at the hearing said i'm going to grant pr bail with conditions because boy this is a really triable case and mm-hmm. uh, you know basically implying not saying out loud but implying i don't want to hold this guy in a really tribal case for six months or a year um so out he went uh in uh, early august about a month later he's arrested on a misdemeanor uh for uh failing to leave a mcdonald's when a police officer told him to do that um he's arrested on a misdemeanor he's not arraigned on that he's not uh, uh he's he's released and and his arraignment is scheduled for uh early september later in august he's arrested for uh a disorderly conduct and two resisting arrests the resisting arrests he struggled when they were trying to take him into custody for an arrest um and nobody was hurt and then he refused to put his feet in the police cruiser that counted as a second resisting arrest so fast forward the next day he's held in jail the next day uh he's had an arraignment on both sets of misdemeanors the early august misdemeanor the mcdonald's misdemeanor and the the resisting arrest misdemeanor in early september uh he's in front of a judge uh in nashua uh and uh the judge um uh grants him pr bail a few days later uh mr whittemore is stabbed and killed and he's charged with that killing now what the police are saying is it's outrageous that the bail reform act allowed him to be out on bail on a first degree uh, uh, attempted first degree uh, assault and then the judge kept him out even though he committed two more sets of crimes when he was out on bail sounds like an outrage right put that way you know the bail statute is letting him go free over and over again no matter what he's doing right nobody's calling him out on that well it turns out that at that hearing in early September on that double set of uh, two the the set of two the two sets of misdemeanors the prosecutor never brought out that he was out on bail on an attempted first degree assault. Never gave the judge an opportunity to say, "Whoa, we got to revoke this guy's bet. We got to, you know, we got to put this guy in jail because he's already out on an attempted first degree assault. Now he's committing more crimes." Classic circumstance where a judge would likely hold him. So, failure by the prosecutor number one. Number two the original prosecutor on the attempted first degree assault, he had the opportunity, if he bothered to look, to notice the the, the, the early August misdemeanor and revoke, file a motion to revoke his bail on the assault right after the early August McDonald's misdemeanor, didn't do that. He had the same attempt, the same uh, opportunity in early September to revoke it on the second set of misdemeanors didn't do that. So what we're really seeing here is 
not a fit. The statute would have allowed for him to be held if the prosecutors had brought it to the attention of the judges. Yeah. But uh, they didn't. So it's not a failure of the bail statute, you know, as, as my uh, article says. The problem here is not a failure of the bail statute. The problem here is a failure of the prosecutors. Bail statute was plenty. There's plenty available in the bail statute to make happen what everybody said should have happened. In fact, the changes that Ross Berry has presented in this current legislator said, we got to, when somebody commits a violent crime, uh, uh, is arrested for a violent crime, they got to be held until they, they see a judge. Well, that's what happened on the attempted first degree assault. Yeah. And that's usually that's what, what happens. Happened. That's what happened on the second set of misdemeanors. He was overnight before he got arraigned. Um, so um, it's a lot of stunting and performance on bail to try and get a, the bail statute uh, changed dramatically uh, to the detriment of many people without paying attention to the facts. You know, and the police chiefs and and those in support of cutting back on bail reform have these horrible stories, you know, they, uh, that they trot out, but the data is just not out there. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to, to, there's no way around it that all these stories are sad or tragic or just horrific, yeah. whatever way you want to describe it. And no one on either side of the political aisle is saying other way on that. And this, this just turns into a, a political football going back and forth with it. And meanwhile, the numbers, at least in New Hampshire, it, it, it's showing that it's doing its job. It's it's lowered the amount of people in, in jail. The jail, like how many people are even in the uh um, the Hillsborough County Jail at this point with, with the, after these. Yeah, days. well, you know, interestingly, interestingly, uh, uh, one of the studies, one of the data collection studies I did at, at the front end of this when we were talking to the legislature, I uh, pre-bail reform, I, I looked at how many people were being held in Hillsborough County Jail, fondly known as Valley Street, um, on bail of $1,000 or less. The judge sets bail $1,000 or less He's not really setting it because the person's dangerous or because the failure to appear. He's just setting it because kind of that's the routine. Yeah. How many people were being held in Valley Street uh, before bail reform went into effect on in the month of as of I think it was September 1st or September 30th. And uh, it was something like 100 over 170 people. A year after bail reform went into effect. Eight people were being held on a thousand dollars or less bail. All the the only other people being held were being detained without bail, as per the the new bail statute. Um, so Hillsborough County is closed, uses a whole wing of the Valley Street Jail for not for holding people, but for other issues. Hmm. Um, you know, it's a it, it, it's, their their budget went down one year. Yeah, I, I mean, what really seems like the the red flag where something went wrong is what happened with the prosecutor's office in the situation. Yeah. I mean, do we do we know? I mean, I it's we always talk about how maybe police are stretched too thin, teachers are stretched too thin, like all these other aspects of how the government operates. Yeah, what about prosecutors? the prosecutors? They're stretched too thin, also. I mean, that's one explanation for it. They just don't. They have each of the attorneys in the office, like the. The assistant uh, Hillsborough County attorney who was on uh, the uh, the Moore case, the, the the person that we've been talking about, 
Um, undoubtedly, he has way too many cases. You know, they're, the Hillsborough County Attorney's Office is understaffed. So the charitable view is he never had an opportunity to look to see if anything had happened on this case. The less charitable version is he, he or she was lazy and didn't look, even though they had the time. Uh, another version, and these are overlapping versions, but another version is they don't have a system set up so he would be act automatically notified. They don't have a techno the technology set up or the software set up, so he'd be automatically notified that um, that the person had been arrested for a, a misdemeanor while out on bail. You know, that's that's just a technology thing. You know, that's just uh, I'm sure you could set that up. Uh, uh, at, but maybe that's what didn't happen. Maybe the prosecutor in Nashua District Court, where that arraignment in early September happened, who didn't bring up that he was out on attempted first degree murder on bail, maybe that prosecutor didn't look before they went into the hearing. Maybe they looked, but it the system wasn't working, you know something's wrong with the way prosecutors are handling these cases. Yeah. And so, yeah, there are people who are out on bail who are committing or being arrested for more crime, serious or otherwise. Um, but the system, the, the bail statute is there to be used to get them in jail. It's just yeah. not happening. Um, and this is getting into politics a little bit, but, but you dive into that. The, I mean, big thing that conservative media, is, at least when they die, when they attack these these sorts of situations in order to undo bail reform, is they say, oh, it's an activist prosecutor that's just letting everyone go. And I, I haven't seen any evidence. Not in New Hampshire. That. Not in New Hampshire, especially. Yeah, there's there's nothing like that going on in New Hampshire. Yeah, uh, I, you know, nationally. The, the, the bail reform plays out differently in different states, depending right. on where the bail statute started out historically and uh, what the bail reform that occurred actually did, you know, and uh, it so it varies tremendously. And there's this huge fight nationally, state by state or big city by big city uh, of, of kind of competing narratives. Uh, bail reform has really made a positive difference. Crime rate hasn't gone up versus, God, the murder rate has skyrocketed, you know. Um, and uh, you, 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 there's no national data that gives you the answer to bail reform, partly because bail reform is different in every state. Every state, you know, we have 51 different criminal justice systems in the United States, you know, the 50 states and the federal government. And so bail is different in every jurisdiction. Um, so, you know, the bail in New Hampshire is a lot closer to the way it is in the federal system, which has worked well for years. Um, you know, bail is really not driving the crime, you know, bail reform. There's little evidence that bail reform is driving the crime rate. You know, it um, it it really uh, um, it's a false narrative, but it's convenient narrative, you know, um, and it's nothing easier as a politician than to say things that 
scare people, that make them feel not safe in their homes and on the streets. And that's always the what you hear from people who are opposed to bail reform or when bail reforms in place claim that the streets are no longer safe. And at least in New Hampshire, you know, I only can speak for New Hampshire, but I've been doing a decent amount of data collection over the years and making a solid effort. And I got some more data to tell you about, but, but uh, it's just not what's happening with bail reform. Crime rates are going down. Every kind of crime, it's going down. So uh, one of the things that's been a problem is, and we've talked about this before, that the, the, the judicial system, the courts, don't have a data collection system. They just yeah. have a case management system. They don't have that data collection software. So to collect data about what's happening in cases, you need to get a case number or, or, or the name of a person. You need to go to the courts, call the court system up and request the case, case summary sheet for that case gets sent to you, then you got to code it into a database to really start to develop information. Um, and we, uh, I, last summer, I, 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 I put together a group of students and we started to, uh, we started to collect that data. So we looked at, by the time I testified to this uh, earlier this year at a, at a hearing, we had looked at 508 cases. Uh, the quick facts from those cases, of those 508 cases, there were only four of the case summary sheets that indicated a breach of bail, 0.79%. Uh, of the 508 cases, catch this, of the 508 cases, this is misdemeanors and felonies in Manchester District Court and in Hillsborough County Superior Court, which is you know the area of biggest contention about bail problems. Of the 508 cases, 187 of them resulted in either all the charges being dismissed or dumped by the prosecutor. That is, almost 37% of all the cases where bail was originally set, all the charges were dismissed. Over a third of the cases. So what does that mean? It means if you're holding people in jail on bail, if this, oh, you know, as we expand these numbers, if this number holds true and we get a, a larger sample, mm -hmm. a third of the people being held in jail are going to be, charges are going to be dropped in some fashion or dismissed. Almost all the 508 cases, uh, when there was a prison or a jail sentence, it was suspended. Wow. That is, people being held are not going to be going to jail once they're convicted. I mean, this may be jumping way ahead in the future, but I, I mean, when you're talking numbers like that, I mean, you have a constitutional right not to be not to be held against your will. And with these numbers, I mean, this seems like it would go to the federal level with some lawsuits for states that don't adopt things like this. Yeah, we'll see how it goes as we increase our data collection continues. We hope uh, uh, by the end of this semester, you know, the first of May to have looked at over 2000 cases. That's our hope to see if these numbers and the, the final of the um, 334 cases out of Superior Court in Manchester, 240 involved drug-related charges. That is almost 72% of all the felonies in Superior Court in Manchester that we saw in these, uh, uh, we saw 334 of them. Almost three quarters of them were drug-related charges 
rather than the you know people scared to go out murders and assaults and shootings and bank robberies and stuff like that what people claim in their performance in front of the media as to what's going on and whether you're safe or not does not appear to be actually the case. Professor Budsher, Director of the International Criminal Law and Justice Program, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for listening to Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To for a word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcasts.